Hi, everyone. This is Julie Sievers-Nash with Gartner. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you should be listening to my friend, Greg Rice and the Art of Communication podcast. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm talking with Julie Sievers Nash. Julie spent about a decade being one of the top sales performers at Gartner. And she is now the Senior Director of Sales and Learning Development for Global Business Sales at Gartner, teaching others to do exactly what she did. And she's tremendous. We talked about how to connect with and build trust with prospects. Um, And we talked about the importance of preparation and role playing. Even though it might seem like it in real time, nobody's a natural at this. It takes practice and preparation to be good at this. And then we talked about that transition from doing it to teaching others to do it and how she teaches her teams around the world to teach others to sell effectively. So this is an opportunity to learn from one of the best in the business. So I suggest that you sit down, take out a notepad and, and get ready to take some notes. Julie, thank you so much for joining the Art of Communication podcast today. Super excited to have you on. Thanks for having me, Greg. For sure. For sure. I know that you're bringing a ton of value to the audience around how to sell effectively and then how to teach selling effectively too, because you've kind of been on both ends of that. And that's definitely something that I want to dive into as we talk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to kind of go back to the beginning. You had a number of years of super successful selling, right? Yeah, I'd say you were a killer from what I understand, right? In a good way, in a good way. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just hear from you uh, in your experience, kind of what was really successful for you back then? And specifically from a communication perspective, like what kind of tools and tricks did you learn for being a really successful frontline salesperson? Yeah, great question. And thanks for the recognition and accolades. I don't get nearly as many of them now as a trainer as I did as a seller. <laughs> so when, when I think back to that time, I think you know two things come to mind. One is the ability to probe and then the ability to actively listen. So on probing, you know, asking high value questions that generate a lot of information that I can weave into my narrative later. And then, of course, actively listening, confirming that information, repeating it back to them, weaving it in as part of the the ongoing conversation. And then also teaching, right? So presenting an insight, presenting a a concept and doing so in in an incredible, compelling way that really spurs their thinking and gets them leaning in. Yeah, and I know all all three of those things are really big to kind of the success that you've had. I kind of want to dig into the, all, each of them a little bit, I think. Let's start with the teaching piece, right? And tell us a little bit about, I, I know that Gartner specifically has done a lot of research around the importance of teaching within the sales cycle. So can you go into that a little bit for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we are both very lucky to be working for the company that essentially founded the challenger sale where teaching is a core behavior. We worked for a company where we have a plethora of insights to teach back, a lot of great insight generated from our research. So teaching has always been a a critical component of my sales process, of my sales habits and behaviors made very easy by the, the place that I 
work. And so when I think about teaching, there are a lot of different use cases. I've talked to build credibility. So with someone who might be unfamiliar, doesn't really understand who we are or know our product, even someone who's resistant to it, right? Either had a bad experience previously or just doesn't seem to be grasping the value of the model, uh, using teaching as a way to get them on my side and kind of pique their interest. I've also used it to challenge an executive's line of thinking and get them to act in a different way, right? So not everyone shows up thinking that they have a need for help. Oftentimes, you have to create that. And one way to do that is to have kind of this moment with them where they say, oh, wow, we're doing it wrong because you've reframed their thinking around something that they're tackling and and trying to accomplish and you've taught them a better way forward. And then, of course, you know, the, uh, you know, just delivering value, right? A lot of what I've done in my career in sales has been teaching them the insights that ultimately inform their strategy and approach. I've witnessed many executives who have built an entire strategy around something like performance management for a 5,000 person organization, use our insights from research to inform that. uh, And and that's really powerful as well. And it feels really good and fulfilling, right? When you, when you see that you're really a big piece of the strategy that they're executing and you, you know, you're delivering a lot of value when that happens. Now, the one side of teaching though, I'd like to talk a little bit more about is, is kind of the balance of presenting it appropriately. You can't just Mm. go in the room and say, you're wrong, right? This is the right answer. You have to be able to read them appropriately and understand the right way to position it in real time, I think. Yep. Yep. It's a bit of a slow build, right? Especially if you're, you're working with someone or talking to someone who appears to be skeptical or, or who is not necessarily going to just receive well, everything that you're putting out there. So I, I, I think building the buy-in by empathizing with where they are, right? You do that in a number of ways, whether it's building credibility around the fact that you know the types of challenges they're facing and and using stories of how you've worked with others in the past who faced similar challenges to, to let them know that we've been here before, we understand where you are, showing them you know them, right? So doing your preparation and research to understand more about their current environment, their current context, so that, again, you're, you're building credibility and opening the door to be able to teach them something new versus just showing up and presenting that. And then I think through that process, uh, you are essentially building enough credibility to be able to say, hey, I would imagine that you, like others, have approached this in this way before, and here's what we've found isn't actually that effective about that method. Let me show you where others have had more success and the results they've been able to achieve. And like I said, through that kind of slow build process, you can get a little bit more receptivity to it. Not always, not 100%. It's not foolproof by any means, but... Yeah, nothing is. There's no magic bullet. So two pieces there I just want to highlight. One is preparation to be able to do Mm -hmm. this well. You have to know something about them and their environment and their challenges. You also have to know something about what you want to teach them, right? You can't make it up on the fly. You have to have that insight. And and that takes practice and time and preparation, which is really important. I know that that's something that you are big on and so am I. And the other piece, the the way that I've found that it works successfully is when you, and you alluded to it there, but you leverage secondhand stories, right? Mm -hmm. Or you say, hey, other folks I'm working with 
thought this was was really valuable information, right? That they were thinking about this a little bit wrong. And this is how they should have been thinking about really open their eyes. So you don't say you're wrong. You said they were wrong. They learned. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, it it kind of eases them into the learning, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, On on the, on the prep side, it's, it's knowing obviously what you want to teach and what you want to present. I think it's knowing what their current context is. So of course you can contextualize and make it feel super relevant. But it's also understanding more about their persona, right? And their their communication style. So, you know, when I was thinking a little bit about this conversation today, it's part of my prep was always, okay, am I talking to an analytic, someone where I need to focus on the, the facts and the data, I need to steer clear of the overly expressive language and the fluff to, to get them on my side of the table? Am I talking to more of a driver where I need to be bold, be brief, and, and be out of there? So it's, it's really tailoring to, to how they communicate and adapting your own style, right? Mm-hmm. Being a bit of an actor as a salesperson in that sense. And then, of course, you know, preparing more to understand their current situation, understanding their their context, what's going on in their business, and, and leading with that hypothesis, uh, again, to get them on our side of the table that ultimately builds that trust, but also a bit of value uh, that allows them to open up and gives us the opportunity to probe more. Yeah, I think that um, understanding personality is so important and tailoring the message mm-hmm. to it, but it's certainly something that I struggle with. It's not that... I maybe there's a little bit of fear of being inauthentic because I'm saying it in a way that doesn't feel right to me because I know it might feel more right to you. And then Mm -hmm. there's just another piece of just maybe it's being in my own head. Right. But I'm so focused on what I want to communicate. It's hard to pause and think about how I want to communicate it, but it's so important to do so and something I'm always trying to get better at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think authenticity is so important. And I will tell you that, for the most part, my clients and prospects across my 13-year sales career got the same exuberant Julie, right? Every time I, I showed up to a conversation. But if I felt like someone was a little bit more reserved, right? And wouldn't necessarily respond quite as well to the energy that I tend to bring to these conversations, I might dial it back just slightly, right? Uh, if I feel like somebody is again, a bit more of an analytic driver, for example, who doesn't necessarily resonate as much with the stories and the flowery language, right? I might just try to focus on the data and the facts and trim down the talk track a little bit, right? You still got the same me. I was still being authentic, but my approach to how I navigated that conversation, what I chose to present, what I chose to talk through might adjust slightly based on how the person on the other end would receive it based on how they consume information and, and what resonates most with them. For sure. I think that uh, that's great feedback. So I'd love to dive a little bit into the probing piece now and mm-hmm. how to ask good questions. It's such an yes. important conversation. So my advice always, because now, as you know, I train people how to sell mm-hmm. what I sold for many years. My advice is always just to, Keep it simple and start broad, right? So the challenge with asking questions in sales is that typically a seller goes into a conversation and they have 15 different questions that they want to get answered in that sales call. A lot of information that they're trying to gather. But when you ask 
an executive or a prospect or a client 15 different questions back to back, it feels like an interrogation, right? Mm -hmm. And they begin to close off and it's not flowing naturally and it, it feels unauthentic. And so my approach and how I've always coached people is to just get them talking, right? So use probing techniques like, tell me more about that. Or can you help me understand what that means for you? And I find that when I ask those very high value, open-ended questions that are a bit, you know, broader and not as narrowly focused, I'm actually able to gather a lot, in, a lot more information without having to ask for it directly. And as a result, that conversation is a lot easier for the person on the other end to participate in. Right Mm -hmm. now, of course, you know, as a salesperson, there might be things that we need to validate or clarify or or dig deeper on that specific information that we need. And that's fine. You can, you know, as you progress through the conversation, definitely ask more of those narrowly focused questions. But I found that when you start high and you start broad and open-ended, you can actually capture more than if you go in with the very direct specific questions to begin. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. Two thoughts I might add. One is you need to be diving into something they're interested in solving because then they're going to be much more interested in having the conversation and answering your questions. And you have to be able to kind of sense that. Like if you start going down a path that they're a bit neutral on or don't care about, you have to be able to pivot. And then two, just the power of some version of tell me more, right? So you ask a question, they give you an answer. Don't just take that as a final answer. Get more information, get them to go deeper because rarely is that first answer the actual answer. Yeah, 100%. And I think the hypothesis-led questioning is the only way to do this. You know, no seller is going to show up to a conversation, let's say with a prospect that they have no relationship with and, and say, hey, tell me a little bit more about what are you working on or what are your top business priorities? Those conversations tend to go nowhere for two reasons. One is, you haven't built any credibility with this person. Why would they mm-hmm. share that information with you? The second is they don't even have enough context to be able to answer that question in the way that you need them to, right? Well, what types of priorities should I answer with? When you talk about challenge, what types of challenges do you mean, salesperson? And so I think by leading with that hypothesis, you are not only saying, hey, here's what I know about your business. And as a result, here's what I think this means for you. But tell me more about what exactly it does mean for you. And then of course you can kind of direct them through your line of questioning, going back to what you said on the story front, sharing examples of the types of questions that we might answer for others, the types of problems that their peers might face and kind of lead them to the power alleys, if you will, for your product and and put some guardrails around the conversation that, that help you not again, go down a path that, isn't of interest to them, but also uh, keeps you on the path of, of covering something that we can actually help with. But first, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network, and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start, or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. 
with their done for you podcast literally all i have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else from end to end including all editing and production development of my intro and outro and music my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because that's how it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the Done For You podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. This was something that really opened my eyes as I was kind of learning this process because initially I was a bit afraid, hey, what if my hypothesis is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, uh, I think, two pieces of that. One, you come in with multiple hypotheses, right? So yeah. when you're prepping, you look at two or three, which reduces the chances you're way off. And if you know the yeah. industry and a little bit about the client, it's unlikely that the three won't have anything related to anything that they're struggling with. But then two, even if you are wrong, it gives you freedom to open up the conversation to, well, hey, then what, what are you struggling with? I didn't know if they'd be aligned with what you're struggling with, but yep. what are you, you know, really struggling with today? Totally. And what I've learned in my experience is that, um, especially senior executives, so for anybody who's in a B2B selling environment, and I would imagine that, that that's similar in, in B2C as well, any customer, they love to correct you right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're wrong, that's okay, but at least you tried. And I'm still shocked today based on the number of sales emails and, and calls that I received, right? As a, a prospect for other sellers, just how little effort they put into trying to make it relevant to me personally and my role and knowing anything about business. So I, I think any hypothesis goes a long way as you're trying to open up a conversation. Absolutely. So I think that that's great guidance that a lot of folks maybe don't put enough time into when they're thinking about how are they going to approach a client. And those hypotheses are going to be valuable across prospects a lot of times because normally you're calling on some homogenous group of prospects, right? That have something in common. So there's a lot of value in going through that process. Correct. Yeah. Third piece you mentioned was around listening. All right. So yes. tell me a little bit how to tell me a little bit about how you listen effectively. Yeah. And by the way, I think in my personal life, I could certainly be doing a better job at this. In my professional life, I had to make myself do better. And even as a leader now, I feel like I could do a better job with this. But as a seller, I, I definitely did this well because I would force myself to do it because it was so incredibly valuable. I think first you have to commit to being really present in the conversation, right? There are so many things that are briefly mentioned cues and just small little nuggets of information that end up being so powerful later on uh, in your sales process. And so often sellers are constantly thinking about what question they're going to ask next, how they can sound credible and relevant with the information that they've just learned, what they're going to show as they're trying to talk through how their product can help based on what they just learned. And when your mind races to all of those other places, right, when you're trying to engage in a two-way conversation, you just miss such valuable information. So the first thing is just really try to, to clue in, tune in, be present in the discussion. The second is, you know, employ the 
the traditional act of listening. I always would get the prospect or client to open up, share a lot of information with me. And I would essentially repeat back to them almost verbatim what I learned, right? So it sounds like, Greg, what you've just shared is you're trying to accomplish X and what's going to be difficult about that is Y and you're looking to make some progress by Z. And in my experience, that does two things. One, it makes sure that you've actually heard them correctly, right? And, and if you haven't, because we're not perfect, they, they can correct some of the details or redirect you. But what I found is most powerful about doing that is it amplifies the pain right? So if you ask me to walk you through all of my vulnerabilities as a leader in my job today and what I feel most challenged by, and then you repeat all of that back and hand it to me on a silver platter, that creates a bit of anxiety, right? I'm like, wow, I have a lot on my plate. That is going to be hard to accomplish. Well, we are nearing that deadline and that drives motivation in your buyer, right? Mm -hmm. That drives urgency, that without that information and you sharing it back to, with them is hard to, to do. And I'd say that the third piece of it is how you use it, right? It's not just like you ask questions for 50% of your sales call and you never do again, or you never use that information again. True listening is, is hearing what they say and then using that throughout the, the rest of the sales process, whether it's weaving it into your narrative of how we can help, asking really targeted questions as you're navigating a close, being super prescriptive in next steps, using their milestones to drive urgency, for example. That is powerful listening is when you are essentially able to use your customer or client's information as ammunition to drive your sale forward. I think it's something that we all struggle with from time to time. I know I do. And what really helps me get better, I guess, is practice. Even if I'm having a conversation with my wife or at home, trying to clear my mind and pay attention to her body language and her tonality and not mm. what I have to do next or what am I going to say next or what's my kid doing over there, you know, but focusing on that. And interesting, some, something else that I found helpful is uh, meditation, right? So, the, and, and basic meditation. So, you know, just sitting for five minutes and paying attention to your breath. And as the thought comes up, you go back to your breath. It's an mm. exercise that, teaches you to just focus on something while other thoughts pop up and then go back to focusing, which is exactly what you're trying to do while you listen. So yeah. those help, but one day I'm good at it. One day I'm terrible at it. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's absolutely. a fight I'm always fighting. Yeah, I think that's so right. I mean, obviously med meditation and mindfulness is a great way to learn how to be more present in your conversations and become a better listener. I think that the challenge that we all face, and I face this professionally as a, a leader of a, a group of people now is, you always feel like you need to move at such a fast pace that it might just be easier to make an assumption that you understand the question, that you understand the problem and just offer up the answer, offer up the solution and move on to the next thing. And the challenge with that, I think, which is obviously something I learned in sales is that unless you're really listening, clarifying, asking probing questions, what you address with your answer, your solution might not in fact be the real issue, right? Mm -hmm. And not to mention people like to be heard. It, it feels empowering for them to have a voice and, and have space to communicate. So I try to be better at that as well and just kind of slow down 
in the conversation and, and take the time to not to listen and to just not jump straight to my advice, my solution, because that's so easy to do at the pace that we operate. Yeah, that's something I definitely struggle with with my kids, right? They come with a question and I just want to give the answer when I probably don't understand at all what's going on in their head. But I don't even think about diving deep. I'm like, here's the answer. I know the answer. Do it right. So I can relate. So that's actually an interesting transition point to shift to your teaching life now, Mm. right? So you've moved from being a tremendous salesperson to being a tremendous teacher of salespeople. And you go through quite a volume of salespeople through your programs globally every year. And I'm curious from a communication perspective, what's different for you in, in teaching effectively versus selling effectively and specifically teaching other people to sell effectively? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think what's different is what worked for me, my style, my approach might not work for everyone else, right? So understanding how you coach different types of people to sell the same thing and and present a a number of different techniques that might be more their style or or coach to the best practice playbook, if you will. But I actually think there are a lot more similarities than there are differences between my old job and my current job. I Just as I was in sales doing this, I, I now have to prepare extensively to not only learn what I'm going to be presenting, but also tailor to my audience and build credibility with people who, you know, on day one, don't know me from Adam. I have to deliver my run in a really short and sharp way that motivates and inspires and engages. I have to to know what questions I'm going to ask and where I'm going to ask them, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I have to manage the the dynamic of the conversation and the discussion because you've been in a, a training session with me before. You realize that things can go down a rabbit hole or off on a tangent very easily. And it's my job as a facilitator, just like in a sales call, to redirect the conversation to meet my objective. And so I think, you know, those are all things that I did when I was selling that made me effective. Now they're obviously very similar to what I have to do when I'm in front of a room or now on a Zoom <laughs> to manage the, the discussion and, and create a great experience. Yeah. And to give folks a bit of background, the, the sales training that you manage is a month to a month and a half in person, very deep dive and, and very effective. But it, and very rewarding from my perspective, but definitely transformative as well. Um, yeah. But it's a ton of effort for both you and all the coaches you work with and everybody who attends as well. Like we have to do a lot of stuff, but a lot of learning happens yeah. by doing that stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And a big part of it is role playing, right? Mm-hmm. We do a lot of role playing as, as the training. So I'd love to get your thoughts on the importance of role playing and how to do it well. I think a lot of people see the value of it, but then shy away from doing it unless they're forced to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, if you talk to any seller, they will tell you that the way that they get better is through practice and through reps. Like you're not going to build your skills unless you have the at-bats. I think even as a tenured seller, these conversations are already hard, right? getting someone to open up, getting someone to, in our case, want to buy something that is quite intangible, that could be viewed as discretionary, especially if there's scrutiny on expenses. It's not easy, right? So the only way that we can really try to, from an onboarding standpoint, 
prepare our sellers for the field is to give them the opportunity to practice leading those conversations and try to stimulate that or simulate uh, that environment and, and those scenarios as much as possible, right? So this is not only a way for us to build their capability by teaching them a concept technique in the classroom and then having them practice that in a role play, but it's also how we build their confidence. And of course, so much of selling and being able to ask a tough question and navigate a conversation with a C-level executive in our case as a someone in your mid-20s potentially, right? That That isn't easy. That is something that is daunting. So this is a great way to, to build their confidence as well. It's also a great way, in my experience, to learn to deal with objections. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because they're very hard to deal with in person if you don't have a lot of experience dealing with them and getting to try out different strategies and see how other people deal with them and get feedback and then do it again is, is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And when I think about, and I've always kind of trained people in this way, when I think about objections, people say, I want more, more time practicing objections because they're really hard to deal with. And my thought and philosophy here is, you learn how to execute the rest of your sales process and conversation well enough to where you are preempting any objection that you might hear, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so I always prioritize more of the upstream effort that happens instead of those objections that you get at the end of a decision call when it's basically yes or no, and let me give you all the reasons that it's a no. That being said, you know, especially in today's environment, I think we're going to hear a lot more objections than we've ever heard. And what I found in the efforts that I've been running recently with the the teams is practicing objections and and getting people to articulate why you should do something differently than you think you should do, Mr. Client or Prospect actually does make them more effective in earlier parts of the conversation as well. So I think you're right. It's, It's a great thing to practice. And especially because usually you're not expecting them. Often you haven't heard them before. And they're very difficult to handle, of course. And I love the terminology, which I learned through the training is vaccinate for Mm. the objection, right? So you alluded to it, setting up your sales process. So you're dealing with it earlier before you get to the end and like, Hey, it's too expensive, right? You need to vaccinate for that earlier. And knowing what you're walking into, right? I think it goes back to prep. If you know that you're walking into a call with a client who has not been leveraging your product and you're going to try to ask them to grow the relationship with us or renew, you need to get in front of that from the minute that you open that conversation, right? Whether that's redirecting the conversation around something that they would buy for, emphasizing elements of your your service or your solution that get after their concerns, but yeah, vaccinating and preempting are, are definitely the best ways to avoid some of those objections more downstream. So to shift gears to Tad, just a couple questions that I like to ask everybody who's on the show, regardless yeah. of background. First one is around the power of conversations. So I like to ask every guest if they can share a conversation in their lives that had a meaningful impact on them and the path that they ended up taking. This was a hard one for me. And there was something that immediately sprung to mind. And I thought, do I have something better than this? But I do think I have one to share. And that is um, a conversation that I started with my now husband of nine years on Facebook. So uh, we had been very good friends in college, but when we both graduated, had lost touch for about five years. And 
I had been living in the UK at the time. I was moving back to the States and I thought, you know, now's the time for me to reconnect with my old life. I'm going to join Facebook and try to make some, some stateside connections or reconnections. And I essentially sent him a, a private message on Facebook. And I think a lot of thought went into that opening line of what I was going to say, but thankfully he responded and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating to think, it seems like a small thing, right? But if you hadn't sent that message, if you've yeah. been too nervous to send it or whatever, your life would have, could have taken a completely different path, right? And, and the power of that Absolutely. just fascinates me. What's interesting about that story is that he's always someone who I felt like had husband potential, but I wasn't quite ready. I, I knew that I would probably ruin it. <laughs> and so I had to be bold, right? If I, if I felt like the timing was right in my life to reconnect with him in a, a way that was more than friends, I had to be bold. And I think my opening line was, you know, I joined Facebook a month ago and I've, I've looked for your name on here every day since. And I'm so glad that I found you. Oh, wow. Uh, and turns out he was also looking for me. So here we are. <laughs> That's tremendous. And congratulations on nine years together. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next question. If you think about your journey to date and kind of all the struggles, successes you had, if there's one communication skill that you could have had in more abundance that would have helped a lot, made it a lot easier, what would that have been? I, I go back to listening. I think, you know, I, I, I listen well as a seller, which was great. I probably could have always listened better, but especially as a, as a mom, as a wife, and now as a leader, I can be better at, at listening as we were talking about just trying to be a bit more present in the conversation, really understanding where the other person is coming from and really make sure that I understand the issue at hand before I try to solve it. I'm a bit of a fixer. So that's where my instincts go, right? Let me give you the solution to the problem uh, and just hold him back a little bit on that. Especially as you alluded to earlier, as a leader, there's a bit of pressure, at least in your own mind, and a bit of expectation that, hey, you know the answer. And those are things you have to get over, I think, because you get to a better answer by asking those questions and listening better. But it's hard to do. I know for sure. Absolutely. Um, So last question. Who is the best communicator that you know, either personally or just know of, and why would you say that about them? It's a good one. It's a really tough one. I have had the pleasure of working with so many incredible communicators, but the person that comes to mind is Oprah. I have watched the Oprah Winfrey show 20 years ago and everything that she's done since then. I have listened to so many of her podcasts and she is an inspiration when it comes to asking questions, listening and getting people to open up. And when I think about what I thrive in and thrive and and search to find, it's, it's this deep, open, vulnerable dialogue. And I feel like she really does create a conversation environment that, that allows for that, that breeds that. So not to mention she's, you know, a legend, but. For sure. No, I think that that's a great answer. And, you know, you speak about the kind of deep, real connection kind of dialogue. That's one of the reasons I started the podcast was I want to have more of those types of conversations in my life. And I just want to see more of them. I think we need more of them, but it takes some digging and thought to be able to get there. 
and some self-reflection. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, you have to be willing to take your armor off and they have to be willing to take their armor off. And that is where we're able to, to create real vulnerable connection between people is when we remove the armor and we're real and authentic and open. And it's funny, those are certainly the best client relationships I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And longest standing, even when I'm not working with them anymore, is where we got to that point where we were vulnerable together for around whatever the topic might have been, where I opened up about something maybe I wasn't comfortable comfortable about opening up around, but it just led to a better connection. Yes, 100%. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anywhere folks can find you online or learn more about the Gartner Sales Training Program? Yes. Look me up on LinkedIn, Julie Sievers Nash. I am there and yeah. Um, Julie, thanks so much for your time. I thought this was a great conversation. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Greg. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.